Come and dream with me. content and help you answer the question how many p- more people in hollywood can david Thaslav piss off this week i'm your host ashley hobbley joining me today dylan blight all of them yeah probably did you see, probably did you see this week so here uh, there was a bunch of layoffs at turner classic movies no, uh the, the uh u.s like movie broadcasting channel or whatever mm. so he he had an emergency meeting with uh Steven Spielberg, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Martin Scorsese. Uh, but they did come out of that reportedly heartened and encouraged by the new plans for Tony Classic movies. So we'll wait and see if that pays out. <laughs> all, all, so much fun over at Warner Brothers. Uh, this week we'll be <laughs> talking about what's our watch history. We'll be going over some film news, giving you this week's top three, and giving some thumbs to trailers. Uh kicking off things i uh, just want to say we've got another competition running over at explosion.com uh we are giving away two double passes to check out warwick thornton's next film the new boy uh which will be in cinemas july 6th so head over uh to the website or check the show notes below to find out how you can enter to win those double passes very exciting uh but over on all new Marvelcast, we talked about the premiere episode of the latest mcu tv series Secret Invasion, starring Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, uh, dealing with Skrulls. Dylan, what are your thoughts on the first episode of Secret Invasion? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. I did. Um, I I think my main complaint was the pacing of it. It just sort of comes in at a, a million miles an hour and um, doesn't really just. It just seems weird. Like if I feel like it should have been ninety minutes and just sort of treated like a, a feature length first episode and i find it odd i find it really odd when disney's very happy to do these odd numbered shows like seven episodes nine episodes like you know stuff that's like they they usually don't really care about like having just six it's six because six is a normal number um so i'm like i don't know i just felt like this either should have been longer or a double premiere um to sort of fix those major problems um interesting setup with the world and everything like that with the the scroll like how the the scroll side is set up to be hiding um finding out more about um what's her name um amelia no clark what's her name Amelia clocks Amelia clark yeah um finding about her character um really interested to see where that goes um big like sort of cliffhanger wow moment to, to finish the episode off to hook you in for the rest uh, i'm keen to see where it goes i just feel like this should have been a bit longer or something yeah i agree i think there are certain elements of this episode that uh do feel a little bit rushed whether that as the series plays out makes more sense in hindsight i don't know i think give it a little bit of a benefit of the doubt um but yeah i feel like you know solid opening uh lots of exciting like uh moments to like capture the like the the main like mcu audience like big shock moments um big character like reasonably big character crossovers i guess uh even though i maybe not big like whiny characters but obviously crossovers from other projects um yeah samuel l jackson's really good uh ben mendelson's really good olivia coleman shows up for a brief 
portion of the first episode, but she's really enjoyable. I'm excited to see more of her in the show. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm keen to see more of the show. I feel like of all the MCU shows, this one is the one that's been marketed the least. I feel like I've seen the least discussion around this show, whether it's superhero fatigue or like all the marketing. Uh, but the one thing that did capture a lot of people's attention uh, and was arguably the most talked about element of this TV show is the opening titles of the show, which are completely made in AI. Check out this rant by Dylan from All New Marvel Cast. Um, it looks like shit. The fact that it was created by AI explains a lot. The excuse of, oh, it's thematically appropriate is BS because they're just saying that because it's this show, even though they're totally testing the waters for using this technology for other things, including other intros. And then when they get to the intro for fucking whatever the next show is, they'll be like, oh, like it's not thematically, but we just liked it so much for that last show. And it we liked it because it cost us no money. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> it did cost some money. Yeah, but nowhere near as much as I guarantee it costs to pay real people to come up with real things. We don't know that. Oh, I <laughs> fucking guarantee it. I will fucking put my. You don't think that Credit account. Studio just went fuck it? Would charge the exact same? No, in that interview, they literally go. The, the director's literally like, so we put in like some Nick Fury scrolls, and it did something. And then I was like, no, let me change the wording, and it did something else. Isn't AI great? People used to sit there and spend ages doing these things. What is art? <laughs> <laughs> I, hate, I, hate, I hate everything about it it's terrible and look i think this is this is really significant and i think you're going to see a lot of people talking about this for the next i think the thing that more, more, a lot of people are going to be talking about about this first episode is that <laughs> intro especially as more and more people see these the, the, the stories the stories that are saying it is there because it is the first significant use of a fully created ai moment in a major major property or what, what what have you right um the the fact is entirely ai create created and the fact that people used to artists used to get paid to come up with something like this that actually thematically made sense and would maybe tease things about the show or the characters or whatever else and now they're just like lol ai can do it it just it also just makes me feel yuck because i'm like nothing in that intro has any thought or thematic meaning to any of it like you, no. you you in any other show you could be like all right now nah, just came up with that like is that like what's that saying about the character or maybe that's teasing something like you, you know there was like discussions about it or like concept art or, or what have you it's like looking at watching the mandalorian you get to the the concept art at the end that's real concept art and you can see where mm. that concept art either turned into reality in the show or you can see how it slightly changed once production um really happened or you know like the designer creatures and stuff like that slightly changed there is no meaning between behind anything in this intro it is just fucking garbage put it in a dumpster burn it i hate the way that this is this is happening in the industry movie tv games industry it is trash burn it in hell i hate it so much <laughs> so now that you have like a, a few days to think about you know it, you're still feeling very strongly about the opening titles? Or you yeah, just... it's dumb. I don't, you don't want me to get, if you're going to put it, if you're going to literally cut that out, then I don't really repeat myself. But yeah, it's dumb. I don't, full stop. All right. Are you, are you pleased to see the general reaction that people think is dumb? 
Yeah, I've seen like a couple of people stick up for it, but usually if I click on their Twitter profiles, like they're crypto bros. So yeah, okay, yeah, and so, the, most people arguing about it are people who are artists. Yeah, fucking shock horror. <laughs> like yeah. they're like, I really want a job in the industry. You know, that'd be great. And like, yeah, uh, yeah, the secret invasion. One of the few times, say, skip the intro. Um. I've ventured out to the cinema a couple of times this week. I checked out No Hard Feelings, a new comedy starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence, in which she the she plays a young woman who's dealing with such a terrible economy that the option of fucking a teenage boy is better than the option of selling her house. Um, yeah, she plays a woman in like a I don't know a holiday home district um, who. Uh, her house is she's behind on her taxes have rental property taxes or whatever no yeah house property taxes or whatever um and her car gets taken uh so in order to get a new car she agrees to date in quotation marks uh a, a soon to be going to college guy because her parent his parents think he's too shy and too uh, uh, to I don't know what's the word introverted to succeed in college. So they hire her to bring him out of his shell, uh, and then she proceeds to try to fuck him. It's pretty much like <laughs> the way it goes. Um, of course, it just kind of you know it, it doesn't exactly go the way you expected. Like oh well. It does kind of go the way you expect of being not exactly what the movie says it's going to be. Um, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's hilarious in any way. I think there is a lot of amusing moments. I think the one that's kind of gotten the most attention is like a a fight that breaks out on a beach, which is quite amusing because it's such a juxtaposition to any other um, scene like it in other kind of movies. Um, It's... It's a movie that it came out and was like, there's a lot of ethical questions <laughs> involved in this in this movie, in this premise. And I don't know if um, it 100%, it does not answer any of the ethical questions that it raises. Um, but, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is really good in it. Uh, the other star, um, the kid played by Andrew Barth Feldman, he's really good. Um, and they've got a solid supporting cast around them. Yeah, it kind of relies on the chemistry between those two. Um, him being like this bumbling uh, young man who's, you know, dealing with some bullying trauma and that kind of stuff. And her, who's uh, a 32-year-old woman stuck, you know, in her life, midlife crisis kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I thought it's enjoyable, but not the funniest thing I've seen this year. So, yeah. Uh, it's no hard feelings. And then What's I also, the funniest thing you've seen this year? Might be Spider Verse. <laughs> to be honest, okay. that's, that's pretty okay. funny. I got yeah off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, it's hot. Yeah, I have to venture. I'll have to think about that. Uh, I mean, we had a whole season of Ted Lasso and and, and shrinking. You know, so it's rough. 
Uh, I also went and saw Transformers Rise of the Beasts. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so this is uh, a new Transformers movie set in the 90s, so it's before... I don't know if they're actually keeping up the timeline. I feel like it's a complete reboot. It is set after the events of Bumblebee, though. So, you know, that's important. Uh, but it features the... It's a very convoluted, over-the-top plot. Uh, but it basically breaks down to Anthony Ramos and uh, Dominic, Dominic. Anthony Ramos plays like a down his luck former Marine who comes home and is working to try and help his family. His brother's very sick. Um, he gets wrapped up into the world of Transformers. Um, they come to New York City because they see a big uh, UV light coming from this uh, key that will help them get back to Cybertron. Uh, but also these people who work for this massive world-eating entity called Unicron also chasing this key, um, which is protected by the Maximals, who are a bunch of Transformers who are apparently from the future who turn into, who turn into animals. Into animal robots. <laughs> it is confusing in elements, uh, but I liked it's okay. I mean, it's one of the. It's better than anything post. It's not as good as Bumblebee, but it's better than every Transformers movie except the first one. So, I think they just they don't utilize the like one of the big draws going into the movie is we're taking the characters from Beast Wars. You're gonna have these animal robots show up, uh, and they're not really utilized much. And weirdly, they never like. It's only the final battle where they get out of their animal forms. Like, they're in animal robot forms the entire rest of the movie, and they're like, oh, I guess they're just animal robots. And then they transform in the final <laughs> battle. You're like, well, why weren't you transformed any other time? All the other Transformers were transformed. It's very weird. Uh, but Anthony Ramos, really fun. Dominic Fisher, Fishback, really good. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, there's things to like in it, you know. And then it then does end on like a, it has one a crazy, it there is it there's definitely a setup to another movie, uh, at the end. So I'm gonna be honest, that shocks me. It yeah, I'll tell you after because you know, it's it's not what you think. Um, that's fine because I, I have zero plans to watch this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rise of the Beast, check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also watched the first two episodes of the Hulu, I guess, TV series Class of 09. So this is the... Uh, it's a mini-series uh, about a class of FBI agents um, from... Surprise, surprise, the year 2009. Uh, but it's like told in th three separate time periods. So one there during their like year of recruitment or like testing or whatever. Then it jump also, then there's present day, uh, which is set right before like some sort of the foreshadowing some giant attack that's going to take place. Uh, and then it's like way in the f like, like 15 years of the future in which. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry is in charge of the FBI 
and has implemented some sort of minority report like rule. Um, yeah. It's fine so far. <laughs> you know, um, I think we we both enjoyed the trailer. We we both watched the trailer. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of okay. There's like interesting elements and like um, the two episodes so far have like highlighted a different character each time. Like the first episode focuses on Kate Mara's character. Uh, the second episode focuses on Brian, Reed, ten, Brian Tyree Henry's character um, and kind of juxtaposition. There's like a solid juxtaposition between the three separate timelines. Um, but I feel like I need to watch more of it to like feel get a feel of the show and whether it's justifying having these three separate timelines uh, and how it all kind of comes together. Um, it's shot reasonably well. I'm enjoying a lot of the characters. They are kind of simplistic, um, especially like Kate Myra's character is kind of boiled down to like she's the mother hen of the group, like caring for everybody, um, at least in the uh, initial like uh, recruitment era. Um, the 09 period, time period. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm on the fence as to whether I'm going to keep watching more. So that is class of 09. That's, that's where you want to be for these things. Uh, Dylan, you watched the, the documentary I talked about last week, Shiny Happy People. Shiny Happy People. Very happy people. Um, yeah. I, no, not really. I mean, yeah. So everything you said last week was good. It uh, spot on. So obviously, yeah, it follows this the Duggars or whatever they're called. Some TCL. No, yeah. Is it yeah. TLC. No. TLC. Yeah. TLC. Family. I never heard of them. Um, we don't. I don't really watch those shows. Obviously, and fucking apparently they're mega television. Um, apparently they were mega popular. They're like a super fundamentalist family. Anyway, they're super fucked up for multiple reasons. I mean, like, even before getting into the fact that um, the eldest, it all builds up to it. No, they really hide it, obviously, because it's just part of the thing. You know, it's like in the thing. But the oldest son, like, is now in jail for um, having child porn. And, um, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff he did, including, like, I guess molesting his sisters, but not officially charged because the cop was a friend with him. Anyway, there's lots of fucked up shit happening here. I mean, even outside of that, it's obviously for me watching this, I'm going, these are a bunch of fucking weirdos, like watching the, like <laughs> what, what they, uh, what they do and their views and the, 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 just the, you know, women be good to their husbands and all this like very like ultra fundamentalist stuff. So, uh, anyway, it was super interesting to watch, but also I'm like, <laughs> like it's fucking uh yeah so the four episodes and much like ash suggested it last week i'll suggest it this week as something that i would say you will enjoy watching on that prime video right. uh so everyone binge i watched the recent documentary bama rush uh so this is a documentary about uh a bunch of women wanting to join a bunch of sororities in, at the University of Alabama. So apparently this became like a massive TikTok trend in 2021. Uh, so then in two twenty two thousand twenty two, 2022, like someone, uh, the director, Rachel Fielder, I want to say off the top of my head, uh, well, Rachel Fleet, uh, a, you know, follows a couple of girls through the process of try, doing Rush, which I guess is the process of joining the sororities. Um, very kind of 
I guess, you know, basic kind of exploration. Like, it goes into the history of sororities, um, why they matter, like, what some of the kind of issues she interviews a bunch of, like, current sorority people at the University of Alabama. Um, Apparently, it's, it's like, a very institutionalized thing at University of Alabama, the rush process. Um, And it's very specific to that university, how they run it, and that kind of stuff. Um, They do bring up... I mean, it's a fine documentary. A lot of the girls are very charismatic and like it's enjoyable seeing their journey. The and also Rachel Fleet kind of contrasted with her with her own, like these girls like trying to present the best version of themselves to these sororities and that kind of stuff. Um, just opposing that with her or like aligning that with her own experience going through college as someone with alopecia and wearing like wearing a wig all the time to cover up. Uh, her boldness and that kind of stuff and trying to present that as her best self this entire time, um, which I feel like adds this personal touch to the film. Um, it's kind of the more interesting elements that I feel like I would have loved to have seen explored more, uh, but I understand it's not the subject of the movie, is this entity within the University of Alabama called The Machine, which may or may not exist, but it exists which is like this secret student society within the University of Alabama that uh, kind of tries no, to pull no, all the this, strings. This is the plot of um, Dear Black People. No, Dear White People. Sorry. Dear I White mean, People. It, it could be inspired by the machine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's this, apparently there's a secret society within the University of Alabama that called the machine who pulled the strings, like trying to get certain people on student, certain sororities trying to get certain people to win certain awards um, and hold different places in, like, student council and that kind of stuff. Um, And apparently, like, they did not appreciate this uh, documentary being made because then they started spreading rumours around the documentary and how, apparently, people, like, girls were going through the rush process with, like, microphones on their wristbands in, in, like, wristbands to, like, record like stuff in the the sororities and that kind of stuff um something that the director completely refutes and like explains why that would not work like you a microphone the the audio coming from a microphone in your wristband would be horrible and like pretty much unusable um and why would you have audio well i guess you could use the audio if you use like stock footage or something but um but yeah, like delving to that is quite interesting. And then looking at like the review scores, like for this movie after, it's like all the critics are very positive on it. Like, uh, and but then any single, every single user related score, very low. Telling it's the machine. The machine's coming after, just come after this movie. The machine's everywhere. You know, when like, someone says they did it, it was yeah. the machine. And then it's like they go. She goes, "Oh well," trying to find out who started this rumor about these hidden microphones. It's like all these, you know, all the user accounts with like the user, and then all the zero, all the different generated numbers. It's like all those accounts like spreading. Yeah, it's like all those numbers, all those kind of users. So it's all these bots Mm. like spread started this rumor and tried to get this uh, documentary kind of shut. We're all part of the silo. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, check out Belma Rush. I think it's enjoyable. 
is is very it is a very weird process and like these these girls like hire consultants to help them get into the sorority that they want to get into and that kind of stuff is is kind of weird. But then like spoilers, half of them just drop out because the process is stupid. I find it hard to watch any of these things because I'm like sororities just always just good Greek life and like all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. It's very very American. So. Uh, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. I watched one documentary on Netflix. It's called Take Care of Maya. Uh, so it follows this family, uh, who their young daughter, uh, when she turns like nine or 10, uh, gets diagnosed with, uh, the, what's it called? Chronic. So she gets diagnosed with, uh, CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, which is like a very rare condition uh, where the only treatment is high doses of ketamine, uh, which is a very uh, potent uh, drug that can potentially have a lot of side effects. Um, very like experimental also to an extent uh, to the, to where at one point she, they have to fly to Mexico to get a special treatment that will put her in a coma Um as the only way to like reverse a lot of the, the damage that's been done to her. Um, but uh, like a year up, like that uh, treatment does a lot of help. She's kind of getting back to how she was before a lot of her symptoms kind of showed up. Um, and then like a year later, she starts to kind of relapse and that kind of, it kind of goes backwards. Um, and then, so they take, she in terrible pain or whatever, so they take her to the local hospital um, and uh, kind of explaining her treatment and that kind of stuff. And they just don't believe it because all these ketamine stuff is obviously very high dose and like very, um, you know, they don't, they kind of don't believe her to the extent where they, the state takes the daughter away from them, uh, accusing them of uh, munchings by proxy of, uh, giving her drugs to make her sicker and that kind of stuff and pretty much accusing them of child abuse. Um, and it is the, the film doc kind of documents the several months in which their daughter is held in custody of the state away from the parents and that kind of stuff. Um, and the effect that it has on them. Um, there's a lot of the, like the mother, like was recording everything. Like they have a lot of the phone calls documented. So you can listen to, you listen to a lot of those, Weirdly, they they seem to like have like camera footage of the daughter like in the hospital room. I don't know exactly how they got that. Whether it was from a security camera or something, which I don't. Well, I that is the one thing do that they, element of the have, film that's like. Do they have security cameras in. That's weird. Do they? Potentially, I don't know. It is like, but it's definitely like a shot above the bed, like looking down, and it's like re- it's not fantastic quality. So I don't know what exactly that shot is, but it, which was bothering me the entire time, like how they get that footage. Um, but yeah, kind of, you know, um, they ex- kind of explain like there is an issue in the US system of like, if there's like this rare illness or something, or there's like something that doctors can't explain, like a lot of times they'll like accuse them of child abuse rather than like explain it. Um, yeah, and it kind of delves into that, and then like the struggles that they're having, like trying to hold the hospital and the uh, people who did this to them to account and that kind of stuff. Um, 
there is like this kind of like major twist that they kind of like are setting up during the entire film. But I think if you, anyone who's watched any of these kind of documentaries, you'll see the context clues. You'll see like the absence of somebody uh, will, um, will kind of reveal like a big, like what they think is like a twist, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really powerful documentary. You should all check it out. Take care of Maya on Netflix. All right. That's all the, everything I watched today. Let's move into a little bit of film news. Uh, and it looks like this year's San Diego Comic-Con is going to be incredibly bare. Uh, reading from Variety, can San Diego Comic-Con catch a break for two years? The annual fan fest convention in North America was forced to cancel, uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, last year, San Diego Comic-Con came roaring back with a masked and vaccinated fan convention that was robust, was a robust success with blockbuster Hall H panels for Star Trek, uh, House of Dragon, War, uh, The Walking Dead, and Marvel Studios. This year's Comic-Con, which is scheduled to start July 19th, less than a month away, is increasingly likely to have none of those panels. Uh, at least that's what the studios across the industry are expecting. Uh, amid the uncertain... Uh, so Disney and its subsidiaries Marvel and Lucasfilm are not planning any panels, cutting off the chances to showcase the cast for the upcoming projects like Marvel's, the Marvel's Loki, Ahsoka, and the Haunted Mansion. HBO isn't going, nor is Sony Pictures or Universal, and Netflix uh, is also sticking out this year's San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Dylan, is there, do you think there's any reason to get excited about this year's San Diego Comic-Con? No. Cool. Let's move on. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Like, uh, you would think that they would want to kind of just like trot out actors to promote that kind of stuff. Um, I know that the, the SAG actra and obviously the writer strike is going on at the moment. That played into it. Um, but, you know, this is obviously a massive press event and it's kind of odd that they're not showing up. Especially, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is it is it just part of the, again like similar to what we've seen change in the video games industry about like the the cons and sort of stuff? Is this like part of it? Like Disney does their own thing; they announce a lot of stuff at whatever the Disney thing is, and then you got Star Wars and Mar- Warner Brothers just does whatever the fuck they want now. Like I don't know. Do you remember? Like I don't know. It's it's odd because really, I'm like, is it a bad thing if san diego comic con went back to being more about comic books <laughs> like the legit just because the, that's the thing san diego comic con it's about <laughs> yeah true i guess is the thing i know there's always been but i've always found it quite interesting that and like there are people who obviously attend san diego comic con who, who are just there to meet their favorite comic book writers and artists and like talk to them get signatures and stuff like that but the major press and news cycle is all around like fucking the cast the of uh, cars, yeah. yeah all that sort of stuff and it's like half the time the shows aren't in movies some a lot of time they're not even to do with movies or um, comic books or anything like that like if they're not marvel or dc there's like they'll just be like yeah we have the cast of vanderpump rules like <laughs> i don't know if they've done that maybe one of the smaller panels yeah smaller smaller rooms or that kind yeah. of stuff um yeah it's interesting like I mean, there's definitely projects that they could be showing off um, in in one of these big panels, and especially if a lot of the other studios are not showing up. I mean, that's a they give you even more of a spotlight, I guess. Um, 
there is a wait and see on a couple of different things. Uh, Warner Brothers uh, itself has not ruled out bringing its upcoming features, Blue Beetle and Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, um, as well as some of its Max titles, uh, including animation titles. Uh, Paramount Pictures is expected to hold a panel for the animated feature Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, but a stream of Paramount Plus has yet to commit to panels for Star Trek shows. Uh, although Amazon plans to have some kind of presence, season two of The Wheel of Time and The Boys Gen V are due to premiere in the fall, in the fall, but the streamer is still sorting out what it will be. Uh, also, Apple has been pretty tight-lipped about what its plans are. So, uh, yeah, very interesting when it's like, what, three weeks away, which is crazy, um, that a lot of their plans are not 100% locked down. So, I don't think we're going to be doing the multi-day recap videos that we did, or podcasts that we did last year, based on this information. So, uh, yeah, kind of odd. Uh, Anthony Bedella has returned to Smosh, and he and Smosh co-creator in Hecox uh, have teamed back up to buy the YouTube comedy brand that they launched 18 years ago. Joe was reunited as on-screen community pa- comedy partners and off-screen business associates to acquire a majority ownership stake in Smosh from Mythical Entertainment and the production company of the YouTube talk show stars Red Link. Uh, Pandilla and Hecox have not appeared together in videos or in public since Pandilla, citing his loss of creative inspiration, left Smosh in 2017, branched out on his own. Hecox remained with Smosh and shepherded the business through the collapse of the then-parent company to Fire Media and Smosh's subsequent acquisition in 2019 and a revitalization under at Link's Mythical. Uh, Dylan, this is one of the feel-good stories of the year, weirdly, mm. um, of the owners of Smosh getting their property back. Um, do, you, do you have strong feelings about Smosh? Do you care about Smosh? I'm, I'm happy. I think, yeah, I do think it's a feel good story. I think the, I don't think that the thing, like when they, they split and everything and Anthony just like, but the, the problem is if you're like, he was just feeling burnt out at the time for what the content they were trying to do. And then obviously what he's done on his own channel for the last few years with the, I spend an hour with or a day with and all these like long form mm. interview chats sort of stuff. That's just not Smosh content. And that's obviously what he's wanted to um, the direction he, he wanted to go personally and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think in the world where... And then Smosh continued on and Smosh Games and all this sort of stuff, like the spin-offs and a lot of um, big and semi-big people have been involved with Smosh Games when that was a uh, when that was a thing coming through. So, uh, and they, they continue trying to do, you know, doing skit stuff and whatever else, but then the collapse, Defy. Um, I do think it's like sort of the fact that Rhett and Link sort of saved Smosh by like scooping up the scraps to to hold on to it and then selling the it brand back. Name and stuff, yeah, yeah, the brand name and then them selling it back to um, to the original owners. Yeah, I do think it's like a, a feel good story. I'm interested to see what happens now, where they go with it, what their what their actual plans are. Um, that that's going to be the most interesting part. But as far as like someone who's watched and you know he followed youtube stuff since i was a uh, like 12 or whatever um seeing the two of them um posting pictures together and stuff like that a makes me feel old and b um, <laughs> is sort of like a yeah feel good sort of story amongst all the shit stuff happening in the world at the moment yeah uh as someone who like i don't know i wouldn't have been able to pick a smosh video out with anything else from youtube not even the pokemon the rap like the most famous video 
what they they made the Pokemon rap that was in the Pokemon anime? No. <laughs> uh yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it it, it was a feel good story. Like it made everybody involved look really good. Um, yeah, I mean, Brett and Link are technically still gonna they hold a minority stake in Smosh, so they'll still be somewhat involved. But I feel like they'll be very hands off. Um, and I believe the plans are to do a comedy skit every two or release a comedy skit every two weeks on their channel. Um, which I think the first one's meant to be the thirtieth of June. Off the top of my head, I believe it was in the article. Uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Interesting. So Netflix, uh, has made a change to the way they're recording their metrics. Uh, so of course every month it seems like a new film or TV show crashes way into Netflix's list of their most popular titles. First unveiled in June twenty twenty one, the streamers top four, the four top ten lists for English TV, English film, non English TV, and non English film are getting a shake-up, and the changes mean that there's a new English-language series that will take the crown as the streamer's most popular show. Uh, so under the new system, titles are now tracked over the course of their first 91 days on the streamer, rather than the first 28. If that number sounds quite arbitrary, it translates to 13 weeks, or roughly one full financial quarter. Uh, Netflix is now disclosing views. The viewership metric doesn't literally translate to the number of times people view turn the show on or watch to completion. Instead, Netflix determines a show's views by t- dividing the raw hours viewed by its runtime in order to estimate the number of people who may have watched the title. Netflix has tracked shows' views using this model in the past month, and in the company's press release Tuesday, announcing the switch attributed the decision to the desire for better tracking of audience engagements. Uh, so, Dylan, I figured we've got some new top 10 lists. Do you want to guess what the number one most popular TV English show is on Netflix? Um, it's going to be like, mm, that's actually hard. Hey, um, Bridgerton or something still? Bridgerton is number, Bridgerton season one, number four. Okay. Is it something similar to that? Could be. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm out. I don't know how you would describe that as similar. What, what show do you think is similar to Bridgerton? Also season two is, uh, number eight. Does that have spin-offs and stuff like that? No, it is not a Bridges and spin-off. Okay. Um, is it a reality show? No, it's not a reality show. Is it a scripted show then? It is a scripted show. Scripted show, popular. As to how scripted the actual end result is, it depends on who you ask. What the fuck? Whether <laughs> the main actress was... Uh, how much of the script the main actress changed? Oh, it's Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday is now the number one uh, most popular TV show with 252 million views. Uh, overtaking the previous holder under the previous metrics, uh, Stranger Things Season 4, which now is got 140,000 views because it's got a longer runtime. Uh, so thus the hours viewed is divided more. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, these change of metrics, like it's kind of odd that they would just arbitrarily change whether it's like, I, I think the one plus now is that they've got a longer stretch that they're measuring these for like the 91 days rather than the 28 days. So it's not like the show needs to succeed the first 28 days, uh, as soon as it comes out, um, which is showcased by the one 
project that actually got bumped into the top 10 that wasn't there before was uh the queen's gambit which uh previously had like 746,000 uh, viewed hours but it equates to 112 million views because of its shorter runtime. Um, so whether, you know, and that didn't like, that show didn't have like a massive success, like right out of the gate. It kind of built up its success over the like month and that stuff after. So whether, whether this affects their programming choices in the future, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. hopeful, uh, but it's definitely a wait and see. It's kind of interesting looking at those numbers. Uh, so I interviewed this week, uh, John Wick director, Chad Stileski, uh, has, uh, said that he's had some meetings with the Academy, uh, interview with comicbookmovie.com. Stileski said he met with decision makers at the Academy and believes his vision to have a new stunt focused category at the Academy Awards will come to fruition soon. We've been meeting with members of the Academy and actually having these conversations and be honest, it's been nothing but incredibly positive incredibly instructional i think for the first time we've made real movement forward to making this happen uh of course celeste said the biggest roadblock are logistical ones stunt work is a collaborative art form and awards could theoretically go to a variety of departments the question is we haven't had the real talks about how do you even determine what is what to award like is it best stunt is it the best stunt choreography best action sequence best stunt ensemble does the stunt coordinator get it does the guy doing the guy get it does the martial arts choreographer fire choreographer and stunt doubles second unit director the editor who gets the award all these are great questions that need to be talked about by smart individuals on both sides the stunt community and the academy uh dylan what are your thoughts on a potential stunt academy award and what who should get it (laughs) Uh, 100% should be a stunt award at the Academy, long, long overdue. Who will get it is, yeah, definitely a hard uh, question and one to solve. And it becomes even more confusing because I guess when you go film by film, you can sort of be like, this person should get it or maybe this person, but well, I don't know. category is kind of... Yeah, yeah, like... I almost feel like... Like... I feel like it should just be like the stunt coordinator, right? Like, or the person. I like... mean, it should be whoever's in charge of stunts, I yeah. guess, in theory. In theory. Based yeah. on how the visual effects and sound awards work. Maybe they give it, maybe it's one of those ones where it's like the stunt coordinator and the performer get it at the same time. But what if it, like, what if the award's for a massive fight scene? Well, then. Yeah, Does true. every single person involved in the fight yeah, get an yeah. award, you know? Then, yeah, it's just like, the just give it to the, the coordinator or the, the person in charge of it. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's my, that would be my go-to, like. I mean, that, that's probably going to be the answer because that's the most easiest solution and it's like the least. Yeah. And that's, and, and I feel like that would surely please everyone. I know in the, in the ideal world, everyone would get fucking awards for everything. And yeah, all every single stuff, stump, but... actual stump person would be. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like as the the end result is having the stunt work more widely recognized. And even if it's a stunt coordinator up on stage accepting the award, I'm sure they're going to be like, you know, like uh, the couldn't have done it. Like, it's so great to have worked with insert stunt person on this and director. And like, you know, they're going to do their, like, everyone's going to do their, the right thing, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's going to get their dues anyway. But I guess, yeah, the stunt coordinator, the person in charge of overseeing it, and they're the person who works with the fight choreographer anyway. You know, like, there's just all these. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, I mean, then, then the other thing becomes what, how, 
how do you classify, I guess, the stunt? What makes it the best stunt in choreography? Is it like the craziest thing that happens on screen? Is it the best fight quiz sequence? Is that um, the most use of stunts? I don't know. Yeah, the most seamless use of stunts. Like, what is what is the criteria? I mean, that's a very interesting discussion as well. And like, because um, I, 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 I think especially it's where people in the industry, ha- stunt people would be able to tell you what like their yeah, favorite- but then there's there's no stunt people in the academy. No, that's the problem. That's that is problem. the issue. Like, yeah. it'll, the people who will vote on it are the people no. who aren't necessarily informed. The only way to get people who were, like, informed about it is to get stunt people into the academy. So, yeah. um, whether you have to do that before the stunt category gets uh, introduced. Yeah, I think, you in, sure. I think you induct a certain amount of people to do the first vote, and then you induct people normally after that stage. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a really just interesting discussion, and it leads into this week's top three definitely in the top three uh in this week's top three i figured we'd go top three films that should retroactively win a stunt oscar so if this if so if we were to award films uh from the past that should get an award what would they be so still let's do number three very hard category you could pick a million things so i didn't try i tried yeah to, like, <laughs> I, I overthink it too much uh, I went with number three. I went with the French Connection, one of the all-time my all-time favorite uh, driving sequences when Gene Hackman's driving a car, um, chasing after the train or whatever they call it, subway. No, no, whatever train thing in New York. Um, very famous sequence, especially because uh, it was filmed without actually prop- properly shutting down the road, um, and they just went and shot it. And they nearly like ran into a civilian more than once uh, while doing it. So it's sort of viewed as this. You know, like, oh my god, please don't do this. Which, yes, true, but it also makes for such a thrilling um, sequence, uh, car chase sequence that happens in this in this movie. So, um, that'll be my number three. My number three, Kill Bill Volume One. I think uh, film filled with amazing fight choreography, crazy stunts, um, even just the the fight with the ninety uh, nine. Is it the crazy ninety nine? Crazy ninety nine. You know, just you know that would be award worthy. Um, yeah, just amazing. Like utilizing a lot of uh, you know Eastern fight choreography and that kind of stuff uh, and techniques. Uh, yeah, that would be my pick uh, number three. Dylan, what's your number two? Number two, Mad Max Fury Road, whole movie. <laughs> and that's it. Self-explanatory. Self-explanatory. I feel like I don't need to. I would agree because that is my number one, (laughs) number one pick. Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, what a crazy movie! Crazy people doing crazy stuff. Um, Ridiculous. So much. Almost nearly everything practical except some random CGI stuff coming straight by the camera. Uh, Yeah, it's a miracle. That movie is a miracle. So uh, that would be my number one. Dylan, what's your number one? My number one was Ben-Hur for the chariot scene. Um, the finale of that film uh, is one of the most famous sort of finale sequences, I guess, in movie history. 
um, especially because the dude gets like trampled on. And then there's that big shot also where the horse like kicks up the chariot and then the stunt person goes like flying up into there and somehow hangs onto it. Um, and it's made in like what, 1945 or some shit like that. So n- everything here is legit. There's hundreds of extras. There's all these horses going around. It is just a fucking nightmare to watch of how logistically this, this sequence was pulled off without people will without everyone dying, I guess. Um, so yes, uh, that would be my number one. If you was to react retroactively pick like uh, a sort of a classic film that definitely should have got a stunt award category, it would definitely be Ben Hur. All right. Well, my number two was The Dark Knight. You know, crazy sequences, like crazy car chases. They had that sequence where they like flip the semi trailer mm. <laughs> over the top. Uh, so much of it done practically. Uh, like they had literally had. Heath Ledger in front of the hospital and blowed it up. Yep, I, that's a prank. that's a stunt, right? Blowing up hospital. <laughs> I mean, you can pick like nearly any Christopher Nolan movie because I mean, in the follow up, yeah, this, he drops and tried playing out of the sky. So, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, craziness. Uh, so yeah, that's this week's top three. Uh, Dylan, you know, every week so many different projects are announced. We just don't have enough time to cover all of them in depth. So we have a segment we like to call. Would you want to invest? In which I list off a bunch of projects for Dylan to either fully invest, partially invest, or not invest, and then history will be with the judge as to whether he's right or wrong. Of course, weird that it's still going during the writer strike, but projects yep. they keep they keep coming. First project, May Day, Apple Original Films and Skydance are continuing to build on their strong ties with another star-studded project. As sources tell Deadline, that the two are partnering on the action-adventure tentpole May Day with Ryan Reynolds and Kenneth Branagh starring and Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly directing. Sources tell Deadline the script has been done for some time well before the WGA strike started. The feature is based on original pitch by Goldstein and Daly, who came to Skydance earlier this year with the idea and have been developing it prior to Apple's involvement. Once Reynolds showed interest in April to join the pick, May Day started gaining serious momentum, and while a start date is still undetermined, uh, seems likely to be the next thing Reynolds shoots. The logline is being kept under wraps. Uh, yeah, I will. I'll fully invest in that. I don't know anything about it, obviously, but uh, Ryan Reynolds, like the the. I mean, that's enough, really. I guess, isn't it? Sorry, I feel like this <laughs> yeah. is fully invest in this. I'll make some money back. So. Yeah. Uh, next one, the last days of John Allen Chow. Sky Yang is set to star in the Justin Lin-directed feature, The Last Days of John Allen Chow, which is written on a spec by Ben Ripley. The project is based on an Alex Perry-penned article for Outside Magazine. The Gotham Group developed the film internally. Besides directing the pick, Lin will also produce along, alongside Aaron Schneider and Sal Gatdula through Lin's Perfect Storm shingle, along with Ellen Gold. Goldsmith, Vane, and Eric Robertson through the Gotham Group, and Clayton Townsend, who is also on board as producer. The Last Days of John Allen Show is based on the Outside Magazine article of the same name, published by journalist Alex Perry. The film follows Chow, who believes he has been chosen to save the souls of the uncontacted tribe of the North Sentinel Island, a protected site in the Indian Ocean where outsiders are forbidden. He embarks on a harrowing journey to proselytize the Sentinelizes. Sentinelese in his desperate search for identity, purpose, and belonging. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm fully investing. I like Justin Lin, director, so um, sounds interesting enough. Uh, I'd be interested to watch that. You know, he's done a he, he's directed a bunch of bangers, bunch of Fast and Furious bangers. 
did a really good movie before that I liked, um, and he directed the best Star Trek movie. So, all right. Uh, next one. I am Sybil. Ellie L. Fanning and Sarah Paulson are attached to star in I Am Sybil, a new film co-written and directed by Miria Falks. Uh, it explores the gripping true story behind the best-selling book and cultural sensation case of Sybil, one of the first mainstream cases of dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, as it was known then, which spurred questions in the public consciousness about around identity and mental health. Sybil was a pseudonym given to Shirley Manson, um, Shirley Mason in 1973 work of non-fiction by flora rita schreiber which examined the young woman's treatment for mpd by psychologist connie wilbur the source material for the new film will draw on is uh debbie nathan's 2011 book sybil exposed the extraordinary story behind the famous multiple personality case one of the number of texts that dispute the facts of schreiber's accounts mm, nah nah um, oh I'll partially invest. Partial. partial. Ooh, okay. Just only because I feel like it's such a touchy subject matter and stuff, and it can easily just, you can do it terribly. Okay. Uh, worth the wait. Lana Condor, Andrew Koji, Ross Butler, Sun Kang, and Elodie Young are among those set to star in Worth the Wait, a romantic comedy marking the US directorial debut of award winning Taiwanese filmmaker Tom Chuyu Yidlin, which has rap production in Vancouver and Kuala Lumpur. Uh, an English language indie set against the intercontinental backdrops of Seattle and Kuala Lumpur, which is said to be in the vein of love, actually worth the wait. Follows a year in the intercollective lives of and romances of an all Asian ensemble cast. Yeah, um, I like yeah, Sun Kang. Yeah, right, cool. Uh, partially invest. Okay, Daddy Ball. Netflix in aggregate prevailed in a bidding war to secure the rights to writer David. Gorby Herbert's 2021 Esquire article titled Daddy Bowl. They will find a new title, but the source material will be developed by, as an eight-episode limited series that Ozark's Jason Bateman will both star in and direct. Bateman, Michael Costigan, and Roxy Rodriguez will co-executive produce it aggregate. Uh, David Herbert and David Quallins will EP the Dark Comedy Limited series. The article starts the, mo- the way most dad-on-dad youth sports rivalries do, but on the Long Island Inferno, two fathers, both with complicated casts, uh, both with complicated pasts, took it all too far. There were claims of stalking, corrupt cops, and mob connections. Neither man will, was ever the same. Determined not to follow in his detached father's footsteps, Bobby Sanfilippo uh, found himself quite the opposite of his opposite with his son. He becomes entangled in an epic travel baseball dad-on-dad rival with a man called John Reardon that led to tabloids to call him a Suffolk county uh steinbrenner seriously sick and one of the worst ads in youth sports history it starts in the world of little league baseball and expands into a beef-like war between two small-time criminal fathers both san filippo san filippo and reading have rap sheets of their own but what went down in the summer of 2012 at baseball heaven will define them and their families forever stalking claims threatening text messages and an unwarranted arrest later at the heart of it all is a story about the lengths fathers will go for their sons. Yeah, that sounds wild. Uh, fully invest. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the last one for this week. Drive auteur Nicholas Winding Refn is forging a TV adaptation of The Famous Five for the BBC and ZDF. Enid Blyton's legendary book series 
will be turned into three 90-minute features for the two European broadcasters, and the show will also be sold to France's TF1. The Famous Five follows Julian, Dick, and George, and their dog Timmy, daring young adventurers as they encounter treacherous, action-packed adventures, embark remarkable mysteries, unparalleled danger, and astounding secrets in an odyssey that evokes the power of camaraderie between young heroes. The 21 books are some of the best-selling children's novels of all time and have been adapted twice for the ITV over the past four decades, along with being made into a 2012 German-language movie. Copenhagen Cowboys Ringding Reffin will create an EP and said, All my life I have fought vigorously to remain a child with the lust for adventure. By reimagining the famous five, I'm preserving that notion by bringing the iconic stories to life for a progressively new audience, instilling the undefinable allure and enchantment of childhood for current and future generations to come. Oh, what a wild... Um, I could never pick Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> to pick, to be adapting a hundred-year-old children's book. And yet, I will fully invest because I need to see what this looks like. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. What, one of the wildest stories this week. So. Alright. Uh, let's move into giving some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers that we're about to talk about this week in the show notes below and man this week full of bangers uh starting with dumb money directed by craig gillespie starring paul dano pete davidson vincent d'onofrio america ferrera nick hoffman anthony ramos sebastian stan shailene woodley and seth rogan in 2021 a group of ragtag am- amateur investors from the reddit page wall street bets band together in a david versus goliath gamestop short squeeze that crushes one of the biggest hedge funds on Wall Street and upends the establishment. Dylan, we've had multiple documentaries about this uh, time period. Uh, what are your thoughts on this GameStop uh, documentary? Oh, biopic, I guess. Yeah, double double thumbs up. It looks absolutely fantastic. I feel like, yeah, I've watched what, at least one or two documentaries on this that, that have dropped in the past 24 months. Um, and this just, yeah... It looks very funny. I think Paul Dano is like sort of perfect this, this dude. Um, I like the, I love the intercutting in the trailer of the, how should we make today? How much should we lose today? Like <laughs> that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it all comes together. Like I'm interested to see also what I guess the, the moral of the movie is. <laughs> like is it like how that all comes together? But um, yeah, definitely double thumbs up for the trailer. Keen to watch it. Yeah, this is two thumbs up from me as well. I think um, it looks really, really good. Um, fantastic cast, like um, kind of this weirdly perfect fit, and like uh, it's cool that you. I guess you. It's playing. You're seeing both sides, like the Seth Rogen side as well, from the hedge fund of them getting fucked over, and then I guess the Paul Dano side where they're, they're weirdly succeeding. Um, yeah, really well cut trailer uh very excited of course directed by australian director craig gillespie who previously did uh Tonya and cruella so um surprised because i thought i thought this was going to be an adam mckay film so i'm pretty grateful that it's not so <laughs> um yeah pretty excited for this one so this is releasing in the u.s on the 22nd of september then coming to australia on the 19th of october uh next trailer is for the beanie bubble directed by Kristen gore and damien Coulash. Starring Zach Galifianakis, Elizabeth Banks, Sarah Snook, and Geraldine Viswanathan. Ty Warner was a frustrated toy salesman until his collaboration with three women grew his masterstroke of an idea into a into the biggest toy craze in history. 
Dylan, what are your thoughts on the trailer for this Beanie Babies documentary? Oh, biopic. <laughs> uh, double thumbs up again. This looks stellar. Um, could be. I mean, it looks like Zach Galifianakis's best role so he's done so far. Not only, I guess, the shaving of the beard and everything, but just the 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 character he's playing is very outside his normal wheelbox, which is going to be really good to watch. Um, such a. I'm, I'm, I like this recent thing of like docos and biops like this, apparently on toys and weird crazes. Like, was talking about that. Uh, the, what's my call? What the Pez one a couple weeks ago, uh, last week or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, I'm full, fully in. Double thumbs up. Keen to watch this. Yeah, this is uh, two thumbs up for me as well. I think um, just a, yeah, really well put together trailer. Uh, really enjoy the cast. Um, it's not exactly 100% clear exactly what the time period of the movie is. And obviously, it's called Beanie Bubble, but I don't think it's 100% set on the Beanie... Beanie... Whatever they're called. Just Beanies. Beanie Kids? Beanie, beanie Kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Or whatever. Yeah, so... Um, especially after watching that... I watched the documentary about the Beanie Kid... The Beanie Bubble or whatever. Like, no. Yeah, something... You know, so whether this is just like the the actual Taiwaner toy company documentary or like that kind of stuff, uh, very interesting. So yeah, I think yeah, like you said, Zach Galifianakis looking to be playing uh, a very different character to his usual. Uh, of course, yeah, like you said, missing the beard, which was a bit of a shock. Um, very excited for this one. So this is coming to Apple TV Plus on the twenty eighth of July. Uh, next trailer, Challenges, directed by Luca. Guadagnino, uh, starring Zendaya, Josh O'Connor, and Mike Feist. Uh, Tashi, a tennis player turned coach, has transformed her husband from a mediocre player into a world-famous Grand Slam champion. To jolt him out of his recent losing streak, he makes him play at a challenger event close to the lowest level of tournament on the Pro Tour. Tensions soon run high when he finds himself standing across the net from the once-promising, now-burnt-out Patrick, his former best friend, and Tashi's former boyfriend. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Challenges? Double thumbs up again. We're having a, a great week. I think this is a very well edited, put together trailer. I love the the build up, pacing, the the music, um, the way the the way it's all put together is just absolutely like no other trailer I've watched in recent memory. Really, really good. I liked it. Um, reminded me of this whole movie in general. I guess is reminding me of like nineties, like sexy, like thriller sort of vibe like cruel intentions sort of like sort of thing happening with it so um i'm i'm, I'm keen for this for sure double thumbs up yeah this is double thumbs up for me as well i think it's crazy uh, um obviously this trailer kind of caught the attention for like that like i've seen that four pictures of zendaya and the two guys in the bed like several times from different people um yeah, even by itself, we're memeing uh, Tom Holland, which I find very weird because I'm like, they're actors, so it's not really weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, she's acting. She's acting. Um, yeah, really well put together trailer um, with, the, with the music. I can't name the song off the top of my head, but I think it's very well utilized. Um, and I think just the tennis in general is also shot very well. I'm like... Mm in a way that I don't think I've seen in a, like, not that there's a ton of tennis movies, um, but uh, not in a way that uh, I've seen, you know, and I'm enjoying, like, the love triangle, I guess, uh, elements 
that's introduced in this film. So yeah, uh, this one has quickly gone to top of my list of most anticipated films of the year. So, uh, so Challenges is coming to the United States on the 15th of September, but coming to Australia on the 5th of October. Uh, next trailer is for Force of Nature, The Dry 2, uh, directed by Robert Connolly, uh, starring Eric Banner, Richard Roxburgh, Robin McLeavy, Jacqueline McKenzie, Sissy Stringer, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, Anna Torv, Deborah Lee Furness, Lucy Ansel, Tony Briggs, and Kenneth Radley. Five women participate in a hiking retreat, but only four come out on the other side. Federal agents Aaron Fork and Carmen Cooper head into the mountains, hoping to find their informant still alive. Dylan, what did you think of this trailer for the dry sequel that is weirdly named? Double thumbs up. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> Tyler's dumb as fuck. That's all I'm going to say. All, I, I, I'm like, is the, is the It's top... weird that the movie's got the dry in the title and that it looks very wet. Yeah. I mean, I would just... I don't know why it wasn't just called... I, I know, obviously, it's the getting people into... To, yes, it's a marketing. It's a marketing thing, but it makes for such a dumb name. Force of Nature's a dry too. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> dumb. The fucking book's literally just called Force of Nature. But the book's not called Force of Nature, the dry too. Like, fucking <laughs> hell. Um, yeah, very cool. Anatov in this, obviously, is the other, like, key uh major actor i guess coming in for this one which is really really good um whole cast looks fantastic the the different setting i think is such a like a visual thing i find um just really interesting as well like going from the 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 first film being the 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 showcasing australia is just showcasing an area in australia is just like where people are struggling because of drought and all that sort of stuff. And that's the, the, the direction that goes. Whereas this one, um, which I still, I actually have had the audiobook for what years now and I still haven't got around to it. So watching this trailer, I was like, do I just do that now? Cause last time I watched the movie first, then I listened to the, the book. So I don't know. Um, but the, yeah, the, the showcase of this in an opposite action of, of Australian wildlife and showcasing the sort of area here that can, you know, mother nature can kick your ass and it's very green. And there's lots mm. of rain and stuff. Like, it's just so purposefully the opposite direction. I, I quite like that. And, like, tying in that Australian typography with a, like, a thriller. Like, a, did, is she murdered? Like, was she missing? Like, what's what, what's go here? What's happening um, behind the scenes here? So, yeah, double thumbs up. Can't wait. I mean, The Dry was one of my favorite movies when that came out. So, yeah. You said the last one jumped straight to your list. Like, this. I mean, I was already super keen for this, but. Yeah, trailer. I was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, there's two thumbs up for me as well. Uh, yeah, the dame is dumb, uh, but yeah, it looks really good. Weirdly, I'm getting like they're kind of setting it up for Eric Bannon's character to be like the Australian equivalent of like Benoit Blanc or Toko Pro. Like, let's take this character and put him in a completely new mystery, but in a completely different setting. Um, which I is, think the third book. I mean, was coming, oh, or that was doing one because I think that so the author, what's her name, Jane Harper, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jane Harper. I th like she did something else in between, like so she did Force Nature and then this. But oh yeah, so book number three is called Exiles. Um, it is yeah, it came out study. So there is a third book for them yeah. to continue on here as well. Yeah, which isn't uncommon because a lot of these book franchises reutilize a lot like the same character and that kind of stuff, but um. Especially when he's like standing in the like cottage and there's like all these all the women that are you know, they're investigating and standing yeah. around the same there was a, like kind of evokes 
Um, there's another book series I that actually hasn't been turned into a movie yet. Um, I think I was talking about it, but I listened to and read some of a couple like a year or two ago. Um, they're all set in like Scotland or something like that. Um, the uh, but that, yeah, same sort of thing where obviously it's just that typical thing of like it's the same characters, but each one has a different like the same cop, but different, yeah, cases. different cases. It just so. makes it so easy to do like yeah. you have that connection between them of the main yeah. character and you can slightly change them and have that character grow but really they the main character and focus much like the benoit blank stuff is always on the the new characters the new characters i mean it's not it's completely not a new idea no obviously like, they've been doing it yeah. for decades and decades and decades um but yeah it, i don't think i've seen an australian film series that's done it no. so i think that's the unique element um so yeah there's fantastic well the problem the um, thing i'm really hoping doesn't fuck this is the drive one the first film obviously did not only critically very well but people actually went out and watched it in cinemas and it did decently so we need to make just we need people to actually watch yeah, it the fucking cinema. yeah like uh the reason it did well partially the reason it did so well is it was like no no competition no it came out that's like, not going to be the third case of time. january or something like yeah third of january mid like yeah Justice Cinemas were opening back up, um, played forever. Um, now there's going to be competition, but also more people are going to cinema. So, it, you know, is this going to be get the you know older audience that we think probably went and saw this movie a bunch of times back to cinema? We can only hope. So yeah. Uh, so, Force of Nature: The Dry Two is coming to cinemas on the 24th of August. Also, I love, so Robert Conley, the director, I like how he does the dry, middle of fucking nowhere, dry weather. Then he does blue back, which is really good as well. But obviously that's a lot of like a character diving under the water to talk to a fish. Now yeah. this movie, he's like, let's go in the middle of the forest. <laughs> he's having a real like spectrum. <laughs> uh, last trailer for this week, Drive Away Dolls, directed by Ethan Cohen, uh, starring Margaret Qualley, Geraldine Visser Nathan, Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Pedro Pascal, Bill Camp, and Matt Damon. In search of a fresh start, two women embark on an impromptu road trip to Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, however, things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept criminals along the way. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Ethan Cohen's uh, solo directorial debut? I think this might be a first, but double thumbs up. Uh, which would make every trailer a double thumbs up. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a first. <laughs> what a uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, it looks fantastic. I mean, it, it has that Cohen style, uh, which is the the criminal element, but with like the sort of heightened, like we're sort of funny at the same time and sort of very like unreal. There's heightened personalities on characters. It does have like a rising, raising elsewhere in there. Yes, very, yes. Sort of that sort of stuff happening. So um, I'm interested to Pedro Pascal looks absolutely ridiculous, um, as does Matt Damon, to be honest. So. Um, but yeah, the cast is just stellar, I think. Like between, like having Margaret Qualley and uh, Geraldine uh, Vis, what, how do you say that? Vis, 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 Vis Nathan. Um, having them like pair, pair up, like that's like, wouldn't have picked it, but you know what? I'm fucking all for it. And then you got Bernie, uh, Beanie Felstein over here. I'm like, you know what? Fucking let's go. Like, <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> Forget everyone else. I just, I love the, like, Pedro Pascal and Matt Damon, I think are going to have a lot smaller roles than what their names are going to be on the poster. Yeah. Um, I think this new cast, oh, Coleman Domingo, of course, as well, I think is probably going to be the 
as far as like the the older actors i think he's gonna have the most screen time which is really good as well because he's sort of coming into his own own in the last couple of years but like having those Fantastic. three those, everything yeah exactly um having those three girls though i think um have like leading this is just yeah like three upcoming um very different i guess is the thing as well um actresses but all very good so um yeah i'm, I'm double thumbs up i can't wait yeah double thumbs up for me um like really well cut trailer as well like obviously the slow introduction of the main two girls and like uh then like setting up like the like why these criminals are going to be following them um and then kind of ramping up and teasing what potentially could be happening uh along the way um yeah just looks fantastic and you kind of it is weird that this is is only being made by one of the cohen brothers um because it feels like so many of their other movies uh with it it's crazy yeah i guess all the crazy zany stuff came from ethan is what i'm getting here and all the more serious stuff came from joel i mean yeah you know yeah seems Uh, like it yeah based on their their picks for their first features you know Mm. obviously joel did uh tragedy macbeth which is very far from this um was that his so first yeah. solo are you sure that's where he did something else i'm pretty sure i feel like he'd done something else that was the solo it's hard because is, is there an easy way to figure it out if you like look up the directors where they're like because they're all going to be like co like how do you how do you find out <laughs> you know wikipedia yeah wikipedia has them together <laughs> okay. uh yeah, Charging Macbeth technically is his first. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, this is coming to Australian Cinemas, 21st of September. Very exciting. Um, Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? Fuck. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Fucking. It's never ending. <laughs> <laughs> never gonna never gonna live it down six months yeah it's fine i'll get there eventually i'll remember all right so what do i go um i would say my pick for movie this week would be uh run rabbit run so that's okay. the new the the film we did you yeah you did sarah snook yep yep um the sarah snook film i was trying to find who it's directed by dana reed is the director uh i um she's done like handmade style and stuff like that i think yes that's it um yeah so this uh australian film coming to netflix uh sarah snook plays a like a doctor who uh i don't know very weird go watch the trial we talked about it obviously very fucking weird uh she's like a fertility doctor or something stuff like that but she's lost her daughter and then all of a sudden like the daughter the girl and the girl and it's like pretending to be the girl and then she's got like a rabbit mask on it's a fucking wild ass trailer um but very keen to watch it uh huge like potential i guess thriller horror movie coming to netflix that's an australian film as well which is really really cool to see um sarah snook coming back after all this huge succession fame to to do a, a australian film is you know cool so <laughs> could yep. just continue to live over there and ride off that fame into the sunset i guess but uh that's cool to see. so that would be my movie pick my tv pick for this week would be uh the witcher season three yeah i mean the witcher season three is the one that jumps out and it's definitely the one we'll be watching as soon as it drops on netflix this week uh i mean it's a tight pick i mean i do do really want to see indiana jones and the dial of destiny even though reviews that i've seen have not been 100 percent promising that well they've been mixed 
Um, but, you know, that's the case with pretty much everything that comes out now. Uh, but also Nomona, which is coming to Netflix on Friday. Uh, the animated film about, you know, a shapeshifter. Um, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's also been reviewed pretty positively. So excited to check that out. All right. Let's know what you want to watch this week by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at what you want to watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Leave us five stars. Anyone can leave five stars or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, thought it was worth a dollar, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.